Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Controversial Jesus, Part 5. Are you nuts, lunatic, or Lord? Recorded Sunday, March 13th, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. You know, when we read the Bible, we oftentimes put ourselves in the place of Jesus, like when we think about what's happening and how would we, what would Jesus do? You know, that's kind of a thing, right? And that's good. But we, we oftentimes don't want to relate to the goofballs that he's working with. And yet, I would say that most often, at least in my case, I associate more with the goofy people than I do with the Jesus who's trying to help them. And in the scenario we're going to look at today, we need to try to see ourselves in the same way that his family found them themselves in, the same place, and in the same place where some theologians who show up and uh, they, they, uh, they question him. And, and I, I feel like we need to really look into them to understand us because they had reasoned, these Pharisees, these theologians, they reasoned no rabbi would act this way, no no Messiah certainly would come this way. And even his family was thinking that. Have you ever been in a situation, I know you have, if you're being honest, you know you have, where you thought, what is God doing? I mean, has he lost it? This path makes no sense. What's he doing this for? What's he allowing this for? Everything in the Gospel of Mark is moving us toward a decision that we ourselves have to grapple with, and that is, how will we believe God? What will we believe God to be and to do and to act and to will himself? How is that all working for me? Am I going to crown him with glory? Am I going to crown him with thorns? And that's really where we're headed with this book. Let me just jump right into chapter 3, verse 20. Then the multitude came together again. Now remember, this is a real frenzied time, real crazy time so that they could not so much as eat bread. That's how pressed they were by these crowds. But when his own people heard about this, that would be his family, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And so in, these, in this crazy crushed time when there's thousands of people everywhere, there's lots of rumors floating around about Jesus. His family's likely getting a lot of questions. What's your son up to, Mary? What's your brother talking about, Jude? What's going on with him? I mean, why are all these people there? And, and have you heard what he's saying? Have you heard how he's pushing the buttons of our religious leaders? That stuff's happening. Okay, look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. So these scribes, these weren't your local Pharisees. These were the guys from corporate, okay? These, these were the theologians sent down from Jerusalem, and so Jesus had gotten the attention of the big boys, and, and they come in to make an evaluation of the situation, because this guy's taken over. And so they do their thing, and then they, in their expert opinion, they think, oh, He's in, he's in league with the devil. That's what explains all of these miracles and all this stuff he's doing. And it certainly isn't following our rules. So Jesus calls them out, and he does it by giving them a simple metaphor. Here's what he says, verse 23. Look, how can Satan cast out Satan? 
I mean, he's just saying, this doesn't make any sense, guys. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. And then he tells them what he came to do. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. He said, hey, I came to take over, friends. I came to take what he stole from God back. And then in a very harsh way, he warns them. He says, assuredly, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whoever blasphemes, they, whoever, whatever blasphemies they may utter. So he's just saying, look, there's a huge amount of forgiveness available for everyone here. And if, and excuse me, I got to pick it up here. I lost my, these, where's my optometrist? Is, is Chad Hudnall on here? I'm calling you this week. Anyway, uh, just kidding. Uh, anyway, uh, back to that. That wasn't a commercial. That's just my friend I'm talking about there. But he's really good at what he does. I will say that. Uh, but, the, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now, why did he say that? He said that because they accused him of having an unclean spirit. Now, in the meantime, the relatives show up. And uh, it's so crowded, they can't get to him. He's in this house, and there's just people everywhere. So they send him a message. Hey, Jesus, we need to talk to you. Now, let me just throw this out there for thought for a minute. Some of you, this, you'll relate to this, some of you. Let's just suppose you grew up in this huge denomination where, you know, where, you know, uh, the leadership structure goes all the way to other places, other nations, other cities, whatever, and, and, and you have a, a sibling who's become wildly popular to the point that thousands of people are coming to their particular church. And there are concerns being raised by the locals that maybe his message isn't on par with the denomination. So there starts to be word that goes back to the big boys up on the top who, who then get concerned too, and they send people in. And then they start bringing real heat down on your brother because of what he's teaching, what, what, what he's laying out there for all to hear about their leadership, their rules. And so maybe you're thinking, this is the religion we grew up in. This is the church that we've always been a part of. And, and when our brother was coming up, everybody was pretty excited about it. But now they're not so excited about it. And now we're getting heat about what he's teaching. We've got to do something about it. And so in a very cryptic way, here's how Jesus responds to his family showing up to intervene. He answered them saying, well, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around the circle at all who sat about him and said, here they are. Here's my mother. Here's my brothers. Here's my siblings. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. Now, Again, this theme that we're operating on with the book of Mark is you're going to crown him one way or another, thorns or glory. And now he is bearing in on everyone in this thousands of people scenario 
but especially the guys from corporate and his own family. And he's saying, are you in or not? Are you for me or against me? Are you with me? Yes or no? I'm in a home Bible study, and we're going through the book of Mark, and we're using simple formats to read the passage. Then we have somebody restate the passage after we read it, and then we discuss these simple questions. What does this tell me about God? What does this tell me about me and us as human beings? And what do I need to do with this passage because it told me that? So I want to use those three questions, first of all, to look at this crazy and maybe even a little bit confusing situation. And at the same time, I think we can think about what we ourselves sometimes attribute to a crazy God. Because there are some really obvious things here that probably stand out. Here's the first thing. What does this teach me about God? What does this particular scenario that we just read teach me, you, this church? First of all, anytime we're talking about Jesus in this church, we are talking about God, just so you know that. We don't distinguish between God and Jesus and say they're two different. No, they're the same one. It's just that Jesus was God walking on the earth at that time. Jesus is eternal, just like God is eternal. They're one and the same. And, and, and it says that he operated by the power of the Holy Spirit. We already established that when he was baptized. He received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've already seen that he's done all these miracles already. And oftentimes, the Spirit comes up as being the power behind it. Even his apostles are now doing some of those things, and it's the Holy Spirit behind it. And so he did, here's something about Jesus that we need to understand. He lived for 30 years or so before he received the power from the Spirit to do these miracles. It wasn't until after his baptism that the Scripture says he received that ability, that spiritual ability to do these things. And so for 30 years, just like you and me, he lived his life except different than us because what did he not do that we do all the time? He didn't sin. Now that's a miracle in itself. He lived as a man, but what he taught and what he did by the miraculous power was done by the Holy Spirit after his baptism. Now here's the thing. He comes and, and, and he starts doing this stuff. His enemies attributed that power not to the Holy Spirit, but to what? A demon. Demons. Being in league with actually the prince of demons, it has a name, Beelzebub. Because they were saying that, Jesus warned them of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And then he says, God has a great amount of tolerance for people and forgiving them of sin. The one thing he will not have is when you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are like, that terrifies me. Have I done that? I mean, have, have I, you know, I, I've, you, you think about yourself, maybe I think about myself, I say, man, I've really committed some whoppers in my day. Have I, have I crossed the line? Let me just assure you that unless you are running around telling people that Jesus is demon-possessed in league with Beelzebub and are doing everything in your power to keep people from following Jesus as God, you have not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Have you cursed? I mean, have you raised a fist to God in your life and said, why did you allow that to happen? 
Have you struggled with doubt? Have you maybe gone through a period of your life where you're agnostic or you might have even said an atheist? I don't know. Have you lived like hell? All of that's forgivable. Rest assured it is. Are you convinced that Jesus is in the league with the devil and you're going to tell everybody about it? You're in trouble. And by the way, even the ones he's warning, I think were redeemable at that point. I think they still had the opportunity to change. I think they had an opportunity to back off. But they were on the verge. And he's just saying to these people, you are on the verge of making the worst decision of your life. Because when you ascribe the work of God to the devil, that is the unpardonable sin. So, with that in mind, what does this teach me about me, about you and me, about humanity in general? I think it shows me at least that I have the capacity to question God. I mean, let's take a look at his family for a minute here. We see something in them that I have to be honest, I've done myself. I've doubted God. I've doubted his plan. And I've even tried to take control where I thought I could be better at God than God is. They think he needs to be brought into an intervention that they might need to call a really good therapist and get his head straight so that he can do what they think a Messiah should do. That's the key. Now, his mother, remember her name? Well, at least some of you know it. It's pretty common that people do know Jesus' mother's name. It's Mary. Mary, I know it's that hour of sleep. I get it. It's like, you know, it's drop zone. Okay, I get it. Anyway, I don't know what that means. but So Mary, think about her. This woman who an angel appeared to told her, in direct revelation, you will give birth to Jesus, God's son. That's a pretty big deal. You think she might have forgotten that or something? I don't think so. I don't think. Think about the brothers and who were there with her. It says that, her, that his brothers had come. He had sisters too, half, half brothers, half sisters. We know this, but I don't know where they were at the time. But anyway, think about them. They're there too. Now, again, Jesus for 30 years they had to live up to Mr. Perfect. You know, like every time they did something stupid, you think mom might have said, think Joseph would say, hey, uh, be more like your brother. That's a hard way to live. Do you think they forgot at that moment, oh, he is special? I don't think so. I mean, I have this theory about why they were there. What caused them to want to intervene? What was it that that made them step into his zone and try to bring him to theirs. I don't think they were questioning his divinity, so to speak, but they were just saying, this doesn't fit our paradigm. This isn't what we thought it would be. We didn't think it was going to be met with such great opposition as you're experiencing. We're concerned about you. We're concerned that they might kill you. <laughs> They are questioning the sanity of God. That's what they're doing. Now, have you ever asked, is it crazy for me to believe this way? I have. Maybe others have said it to you this way. Are you nuts? 
why would you do that when it comes to following God? Why would you, you know, why would you, why would you follow a God who, and you can fill in the blank? Or maybe you thought, God, you've got this one wrong. Let me help you with this one. Mary, the siblings, Peter, the rest of the disciples, eventually John the Baptist, all of them at one time or another will question Jesus' motives and intentions. Every one of them. Even his sanity. You probably have, you probably will yourself. You say, well, no, I won't. I'm not going to question God. Really? Okay, so a couple just simple scenarios that maybe you've thought or asked. You've thought, God, what are you doing? She was so young. Her life had just begun. Why in the world would you allow someone so young and vibrant, that young mother, to be taken like that? Are you crazy? God, watching these images on the news feed you watch and you're seeing collapsed hospitals on the top, the rubble on the top of innocent children and healthcare workers. God, have you lost your mind? I think I've done everything I can to earn your help and favor. I think I've done everything I can to, to be the kind of person that that, that supposedly the Bible says I'm supposed to be. And now the cancer is back? It's metabolized? Are you kidding me? Are you? Have you lost it, God? What can I do when I'm questioning the sanity of the Almighty? Because it's going to hit you and me. It's going to happen at some point where it's actually going to be on the level of you're crazy, God. I want to throw three things at you. I think they're all here. Number one, I got to remember, and I have to own. He is God. I am not. In a not-so-subtle way, he reminds all of them of that. So these denominational lawyers, they show up. They're going to excoriate him. And he uses this argument in which he basically says, Look, it's going to take a strong man to enter the strong man's house, a stronger man than the strong man, to pummel him into submission, to bind him, to take over. I'm that guy. And then to his beloved, these beautiful yet confused family members. Jesus gets them a message which basically says, look, I got bigger fish to fry right now, mom and brothers. Get on board or get out of the way. It's pretty much that blunt. And by the way, they got on board. Brother James wrote a book in the Bible. His head was lopped off for Jesus. Brother Jude wrote a book in the Bible. They say that he, martyred, he was martyred in the, country, in the nation of India. All of his siblings, it's reported, somehow gave their life for the cause of their half-brother Jesus. Now, I know in here, but I don't often get it here, this point. There are going to be times there just is when I'm confused by God, I don't understand why he's doing it. I don't get the the current events and how they all work out. I don't understand the ultimate plan. And my temptation will be that I will want to take matters into my own 
hands. Anybody else? Do you want to be in control? Are you still awake? Can you wake up again? This is important. Here's the thing. You know it and I know it too. I want God to fit into my own image of God. I want God to play by my rules. I, I, want God, I want God to be the vending machine God. I like that God. The God who I say, God, give me. And I go, Mwomp, or I push the button or whatever I do. And it all falls down the slot. And I go, oh, great. I love God. What if I'm pushing the buttons and nothing's falling? Because that's going to happen. Because I'm not God. When stuff stops falling, that doesn't mean God's broken. It doesn't mean God's absent. It doesn't mean that God is, it doesn't care. It just means that I'm not God. There's a famous story in the Bible by a man named Job. Heard of him? Not Job, not Steve Job, Job. It's a crazy book. It'll take, take you about an hour to read it. And I'll give you the cliff notes. This guy's got it all. He's wealthy. He's got a great family. Wife seems to be okay. Uh, lots of material stuff. And the devil challenges God with Job's faith and says, let me take it all. And we'll see what happens to this guy. So God says, okay, go ahead. Which, right there, you're going, God did that? Well, you're not God. Okay, I'm just telling you right now, you're not God. Anyway, it happens. Everything's taken. And he, you know, uh, house collapses on his kids, they all die. Uh, livestock all dies. He loses his health. It's horrible. Uh, loses all of his material possessions. And so the next, like, 42 chapters are where people like his wife, his best friends, are all accusing Job of being an unfaithful follower of God. And he's questioning himself. And he's questioning God. And then towards the end of the book, God kind of intervenes again. He comes in and says, okay, let me straighten you all out. And then he says things about nature and things about the earth and about the universe. And he tells them these things they can't understand. And then he says, that's all. See you later. And I'm like, hey, give me chapter 43, God. Like, give me chapter 43. Because I want more answers. And I think that's why he's saying... Well, guess what? I am, what? What is he? You are not. Does that bother you? It's a beautiful and glorious day when you let God put you in your place. Because God's plan is always the best plan. He has a plan. Don't worry about it. His plan was to break into the world put the devil into his submission, which he did on the cross and through the resurrection, establish a kingdom that would go on forever, and it's going on right now, believe it or not. And he said, I win. You want to be a part of that? That's God. That's God. One of the most quoted Proverbs of Solomon says this, Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. How easy is that to do? In all your ways, what ways? In how many of all of your ways? Submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord 
shun evil. This is something I had to remember again this week. There has never been a time when I can say I knew better than God. There are plenty of opportunities where I can know God better. And guess where most of those opportunities arise? It's when he's the most confusing. And it's when I'm obedient. The universe works best when I believe that he is God and simultaneously I give up the throne, I trust him, even if it seems absolutely batty, crazy, insane of what he's asking of me. Because look, here's the thing, and this is the bottom line. In the end, he wins. Guaranteed. No matter what. If we win in the end, who cares what the score is at halftime? The score ain't so good at halftime right now. Who cares? He wins. I want to be on his team. He wanted his mother to be on his team. He wanted his brothers to be on his team. He wanted the theologians from Jerusalem, the the guys from corporate to be on his team. He wanted the people at his feet to be on his team. He wants you to be on his team. Crazy. Crazy. And we're going to have dark times. Some of you are going through some incredibly hard things right now. And I'm sure the question you're asking God is at some level, God, what are you doing? Are you crazy? I want to read to you from a guy who had a lot of reasons to ask that question. Uh, This is Paul. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he makes this statement in verse 16. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For, listen to this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Like, so he's saying there's just some things in life that are light and momentary, and so we have this future dream that overcomes that. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, but what is unseen. Not what is present, not what is temporary, but is rather eternal. And then I'm thinking, okay, so if you're reading in 2 Corinthians, you're going, what does he mean by these light and momentary troubles? And so I'm thinking like, I don't know, gas prices went up to four bucks a gallon. Uh, Man, the world seems to be going crazy right now with all kinds of threats about wars and rumors of wars and real wars and and, 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 you know, bigger things than that, you know, the things we see that sin does in the deepest sense in our culture and I mean, all the stuff we see. And I understand that's really important stuff. And I'm thinking, what am I experiencing that might be considered light and momentary? It might be, oh, I've had some health issues or, you know, uh, one of my kids is, I'm worried about him because of this or that or, you know, whatever. Then he lists out some of his light and momentary troubles. This is chapter 11. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones and left for dead, by the way. I consider that. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been consistently on the move. 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides all that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And so then he kind of asks rhetorically, because these people might be complaining about what they're going through, who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? Those are light and momentary? They are. When you see them in the lens of the cross and eternity. Light and momentary. I don't know what you're going through. I'm sorry if it hurts. I legitimately, if I know about it, pray for you. And I want to encourage you in every way I can. All of us do. But I am not God, and you are not God. He is. And we can trust him. Because in the end, he wins. I want to be on that team. I hope you do too. I wonder if, as we go into this time of reflection with the Lord's Supper, if you would consider naming a couple light and momentary troubles that are confronting you right now. Maybe you're attributing to God, who seems to be tone deaf, or mysteriously gone, or maybe even worse, giving you answers you don't like. And I wonder if you could just lay them before the feet of the Jesus who rose from the dead for you and say, Lord, I'm here again to say I trust you. Lord, thank you for this moment when we can lay our lives before you in full revelation, not in shame, but in hope. Not ashamed that we've doubted you because I don't think you want us to be ashamed of that, but really more in the dream that we can trust you no matter what. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't, I don't know, maybe you find yourself in a circumstance right now where you're on that side where you know things, you, you, you know, you get up here that, you know, that things are going to be okay in the end, and, you know, I get it. I, look, <laughs> that's this week for most of us. But we're still doubting, you know, and, and I want to make sure you understand this about this message. I'm not sitting here, I'm not standing here saying, well... <laughs> You can't ask questions of God. You, you shouldn't ever question what's happening. And He made you the way you are. Gave you that immense curiosity that not only makes you curious about life and the universe and a God somehow that fits into that, but also about yourself. I get it. I'm that, I'm that way too. And I know that, that he's pulling on you in some way or another where he's just saying, look, can you just trust me? Can you just trust me? Will you walk with me through this? And I know you don't, get, you don't see it all. You don't have all the yes and amens at the end of this yet. But you know what? They're there. But you got to trust me. That's what he's saying to us. And again, I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're just, you got to step out now and say, I need to do what I witnessed this morning when I, I watched that baptism. I need to step forward and say yes to Jesus. How do you do that? 
or maybe God is specifically calling you to something that's bigger than you can even envision and you can't even grasp the idea that he would have that for you, that service, that some kind of thing that he's saying, this is you, I want you to step into this. And it's just time for you to say, okay, God, I'm, go- I'm coming. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to do it. I can't, I can't shake it off, so I'm going I'm to shake your hand, you know. And, and yeah, people might raise their eyebrows. People might say, what are you doing? What are you giving up? Are you willing to do that? I promise you, if it's a God thing, Beelzebub himself will oppose it. Because he's a liar, and he wants you to think that it's not, it's not for you or that somehow it's against what God would really have. And I promise you, you'll get some opposition from people who love you because they might think they know better than God. And I promise you this, in the end, he wins, and you want to be on that team. So do it. Go with him. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow, on Facebook Live, and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.